Welcome, church. Uh, we are so glad that you are here, whether you're here in person or joining us online. We're really uh, excited for that. We have a few announcements that we want to make today. I'm looking at my cheat sheet because if I don't have that, I will forget them all. I promise you. Uh, a couple of things we want to tell you about is Created Sunday. Uh, we've never done that here before, but we're really excited about it. Some of you have, uh, you, you are creative in multiple different ways, whether it's sewing, crafting, creating, painting, whatever it is. Uh, and we know that God created you for that purpose. So whether you've written a book, some of you may have done that, uh, or whether you are, are painting or creating in various other ways, we want you to bring that and put that on display because we believe that God created you to be a creator like him. And so we encourage you to do that, be a part of that. Next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday, but it's also Jersey Sunday here. So don't forget to wear your favorite uh, team's jersey and celebrate that with us. We're looking forward to it. Wellhouse is a church. One of the pillars of our church is being wildly generous. We believe that that is what God is. That's what he does. He, he gives so generously and we're supposed to model that. And so we don't back down from that. We, we want you to be wildly generous if you're here, a part of Wellhouse. You can give online through the Push Pay app. There's a red box in back, but we also want to encourage you to think about giving of your time. By the way, you might notice, I'm not using my regular mic today, and you might hear some uh, different popping and crackling. We know we're trying to work on it, but just like at home, sometimes you have weird things happen. Well, today we have some weird things happen, but hang with us. We're going to get through it together, okay? Uh, also, if you are new here, we want to encourage you to think about taking a next step with us at Wellhouse and taking uh, a journey with Jesus. You can actually uh, scan the QR code there on the screen and fill out the form that pops up. We would love to connect with you and help you grow in your relationship with Christ. Uh, and uh, not last, but one of the, the one of the things I want to mention is we've kind of created some extra spaces for our kids. Um, and so if they're in second grade through fifth grade, they're with you right now, but we're going to go ahead and dismiss them. And we have some teachers in the back. They're going to walk them back. So uh, in, in the best words I know how to say, we can release the hounds uh, to, uh, to the, their, their space. They get to learn about guys. So we're going to go ahead and do that now. Uh, if you are in second through fifth grade, you get to go back there. The last announcement I want to make um, is uh, Chris. Hey, Chris, I'm going to have you come on up here just for a moment. And then uh, Jay, would you come on up? And, and Brett, would you come on up? We, um, we, are, we are lucky enough uh, that, that here at Wellhouse, um, we get to, to have amazing um, worship every week. And that's a blessing, right? So... Um, every year, um, for the last almost decade now, I get to go away with 15 other pastors from all around the country. And this is a few days to get away. And, uh, it's a few days of accountability and days of tears and days of joy and, uh, days where God fills my tank in ways that, uh, that I wasn't always expecting and ways that I certainly need. And so what's really cool is, uh, there are, 
worship pastors, worship ministers from all over the country that are me gathering together here, uh, just a, just about an hour or so away from here, and they're going to be kind of retreating together and uh, praying together and studying together and encouraging one another. So these three guys are part of that, and um, so in a minute we're going to pray over them, but. Uh, uh, also, I want to let you know that Chris, uh, over the last couple of weeks, has talked to his doctor, and uh, there's some vocal nodes. Um, if you're anything like me, you don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds serious. Um, so basically, the doctor said, hey, listen, rest your voice as much as possible. So that's what we're going to do for Chris for the next few weeks. So if you don't see him singing as much, uh, that's why. And also, you know, if he seems a little more quiet than normal, um, which that's a feat in and of itself. I'm going to be praying about that, but I, I love you, brother. <laughs> uh, we're going to be, we're going to be helping him do that. So, uh, just send him a text, you know, or instead of giving him a call or something, pat him on the back. But few people have put together some things, just some notes of encouragement that you can read while you're there. Um, just to remind you that God loves you and we love you. And, uh, if you would do this, we believe in the power of prayer here. We believe in a God who is way bigger uh, than what we could ever dream or imagine. And we believe that praying to him matters. So if you are so inclined, raise a holy hand. We're going to pray over these three guys as they go away together. That God would fill them in amazing, amazing ways. God, we love you. And we thank you that you are our good father. We thank you that you have, um, you have ways of working through your spirit and working through others that that fuel our tank. And we thank you for these three guys who do that week in and week out through the gift of music and song. And so God, we pray over their time together over the next few days that you would minister to them in ways that are mighty and wonderful. God, that you would just, just spill out your spirit upon them and they, they would walk away from that time discharged and that they would, they would feel loved and wanted and welcomed. And that they would give that out to others who come in contact with them. God, we pray for Chris as he uh, rests his, his vocal cords. God, that you would do some healing where that needs to happen. And we thank you for him and his service here. And we pray all this in the power and might of your son, Jesus Christ. And the whole church says, amen, amen. Uh, Tom and Michelle, would you guys come on up? I'm going to grab some chairs really quick. I had this cool video that I was going to play, and uh, as technical difficulties happen, it doesn't always work that way. Thank you. So you just kind of improvise. So this is our improv. <laughs> There's going to be this cool video that happened. It's going to be amazing, but for another time. Do we have another mic? I think we do, right? Oh, perfect. All right. Just as a reminder, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking through this series of really where we are now and where we feel like God is calling us to be, to bless other people, to belong, uh, and to become, to become what God has created us to be. And one of the ways in which we want to help you bless other people, so there's some things that we put together, 
So feel free, they're in the back. You can go by and grab them. There's boxes of Kleenexes that say uh, being sick really blows. Um, but it's just, it's just a reminder that, that they're loved and they're missed. And there's a, there's a box of popcorn that says popping by to let you know that you're missed. So um, they're just little ways to bless people. And if you have ever been sick or lonely or kind of out of the loop, you know how much those things mean. And so we want to encourage you, grab one or two, throw them in your car, and then uh, your neighbors or friend or somebody from church, you can grab those. We're starting a new series today, and that series is about being a neighbor. And over the next several weeks, uh, we get to hear stories about how people are being a neighbor in our community. And these aren't ways that we're going to emulate or imitate, but they're really inspirational in the sense of people took Jesus' message of being a neighbor and they put them into practice. And I love that because it's a reminder for us that, that we get to do that same thing wherever we are, that there's a neighbor to you. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan where the teacher of the law, the expert of the law comes up and he questions Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's in Luke chapter 10. And, and, and he says, listen, I've been keeping all the commands since I was a young boy. And this, this, this idea of neighbor comes up. And do you remember what he says? He, he says that he wanted to justify himself. Have you ever been there before where you felt like you needed to justify something in yourself? There's usually a reason why. And then Jesus tells the story of a good Samaritan and he lays it out what it means to be a neighbor. It's this like all cost kind of thing where, where God calls you in to just see the need around you and respond to it. And so that was the best setup I could possibly think of to talk to you guys today about a ministry you started 17 years ago called Front Porch Ministry. And I want to welcome uh, Tom and Michelle Hazlip with us today from Front Porch Ministry. You can clap for them if you want to. I think you're going to be really inspired by their story. So if you guys would just start for a moment and talk a little bit about Front Porch Ministry and then maybe really how it got started. Because it was not this like, hey, let's start this whole ministry thing from the beginning, right? It was, tell us about how it starts. Um, it's good to be here. And uh, first, I think it's terrific that you get to make fun of a guy who can't respond to you because he's got lymph nodes, something on his nose. Uh, pay, pay, paybacks that's, are coming, I'm yeah, sure. So yeah. Um, the uh, uh, no, we intended to move out of the suburbs we were living in and move into an inner city neighborhood, and we didn't know how long that would be. Uh, in my mind, um, I grew up in, uh, my dad was the integration activist, so um, in Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, so uh, he was also a college basketball coach, so he had a little more influence than other people would have. When you're su successful in whatever you do, people will say, oh, maybe that's a good thing. And if you're not, you know, so he was, and he influenced um, our family to reach out to people who were um, less fortunate or people who were just in need. So when I was driving the neighborhood, um, I was investing in houses and stuff. 
And I thought, we could live here. Now, this is a neighborhood that was dominated by huge projects. Um, and the, the house that we bought on that street um, uh, turned out to be, I didn't know it at the time, but um, an officer came up to me and said, this was just named the most dangerous street in Nashville because more people were shot in the last 12 months. Um, and, and he Welcome had a to the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. And he had a big smile on his face. And I go, why are you smiling? And, he's, and uh, I said, I'm moving my family and my kids in here. And he goes, oh, I forgot about that. But, but he got to brag to his fellow officers that he had a worse beat than they did. Um, so, uh, but we, our intention was to move down and see how we could help. Because the one thing I knew from, uh, I went to Lipscomb, and during that time I was part of an inner city ministry that just got started up from some musicians and and, uh, and these guys uh, were just trying to help, but we made a lot of mistakes and we didn't know what we were doing. So from that experience, I realized that white people get it wrong when they go into the inner city. Um, and so I said, uh, you know, when Michelle said, well, what are we gonna do? Well, I think our, our intention should be to move down there, learn the culture and see how we can make an impact for God in the culture. And we didn't intend to start a ministry or be there for a long time. It seems like it takes a lot of humility to, sometimes you think like, oh, I see the problem. Let me step in and give you all the answers. Uh, if you've ever been married, you know that approach doesn't work well, right? Um, we can laugh or maybe maybe there's some tears that are happening right now. I don't know. <clears throat> but it takes a lot of humility to, to say, I'm going to enter an environment under the understanding that I don't, I'm not going to pretend like I have all the answers I need to learn. And so tell me about that learning process as you guys, so you, so you get this house, it's a, it's a condemned home, yeah. uh, you find out. Well, and it's, it's condemned property on Nashville's books. Yeah. And Sorry. it's in the most dangerous street and you're walking in, not saying, hey, I have all the answers, but let me learn. So tell me about the learning process, Michelle, as you guys kind of got into that. What did the learning process look like for you? Um, well, it, first of all, like, you know, I was not on board. I'll just say that. I was like, no, we're not doing that. Um, I don't, you know, I, God would not call us to that. So um, I was already not really on board. And, um, but then I kept praying about it. And Tom had bought the house and thought, well, we'll just invest in it. And... Um, you know, I thought, well, I mean, I would go over there and spend time and get to know some of the kids. And we had two little kids at the time and the boys weren't born yet. And, um, no, I wasn't pregnant yet. It was, um, yeah, that was a week after we moved in. No, it was, yeah, that was another great timing. (laughs) Um, but it was, I think, um, even in that, you know, humility, um, God gave us that because, um, you know, I'm a planner by, I'm just a planner. And I think as women were nesters and I'm thinking, I can't make a home out of this place. Like I, I, I envision us army crawling around, like, you know, dodging bullets and stuff. Like I'm thinking I can't make a home here and I'm going to be the one at home with these kids. And so for me, it was a real struggle. Like I, I thought like, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do, but like, I don't want to be in danger. I don't want to put my kids in danger. And, of course, the first thing I did was look up the, um, you know, on the police precinct, you know, like what 
what does it look like? Like what, you know, I'm doing all the logical research. And so I'm pulling up the, the um, parole releases and, you know, all these things. And it like lit up like a Christmas tree and um, went to the fire department. And I'm like, you know, would you move your family in here? And they're like, absolutely not, you know. And so I'm like, okay, check, check. We're not doing this, Lord, we're not doing this. And so, you know, I was trying to logically basically make, um, you know, go ahead and find the facts that supported what I wanted, which was, no, we're not doing this. And um, it wasn't until I was sitting in a Bible study one morning and I heard the speaker, Joan Del Brock, was speaking at a community Bible study. And I don't remember anything else she said that day, but she said, you know, sometimes God calls you to live disproportionate to who you are. And for some reason, that just really hit me on the head. I'm like, this is so disproportionate to who I am. Like, I, like, what if we move there and we don't make a difference? Like, what if we sacrifice all of this and it's for nothing? Like, you know, I mean, how do we make a difference? And the Lord's like, you're not. Like, I am, you know. And so it kind of shifted me. And I called Tom that day and I said, okay, instead of saying, you know, no until God proves yes, I'm, I kind of shifted and said, let's say yes unless God shuts the door. And so that for me was a big shift. Um, and so, you know, doors started opening, but just because you say yes doesn't mean it gets easier. You know, I mean, I remember going over there one day and I had a babysitter for the girls and I was over there because there was, in that 1910, there were no closets and stuff. So I'm thinking, how are we going to, we got to buy wardrobes and things for the girls clothes. And so I was over there painting and, um, a big storm came and Tom had just put up a fence and it had part of a fence. Like somebody had tried to do something over there, but it just, it, you know, just didn't ever took, it was just a really bad neighborhood at the time. Um, and, um, so he was making the fence that was there taller which, of course, when it's not attached to anything, it's very wobbly in a storm. So I'm watching this fence that he had just put up fall down. And I was like, oh, you know, we're, I mean, all these fears in me of like, how are we going to be protected? You know, we need this 8-foot fence or 10-foot fence um, to be protected. And I just, God would just whisper things to me like, you know, that fence isn't your refuge. Like, I'm your refuge. And there were so many moments that were really, I'm just very practical. So he's, you know, God meets us where we are. And so he just kept meeting me in these practical places of like, I'm your refuge. Like that fence is never going to protect you, but I'm your refuge. And so there were just a lot of moments like that for me personally, that were very different from Tom's experience. Um, but I think the humility came and it took us 18 months to get the house livable just to pass codes. Like they wouldn't let us, it was, it was, it had really good bones to it, but it had everything wrong with it, you know, and the first rule of thumb when you rehab a house is like, don't buy the biggest house on the block, and this was the biggest house on the block, and uh, it had just a lot, I mean, there was not one inch of it that didn't need renovation just to be able to move in, and so I think as we did that, and it took 18 months to get it livable, and just to pass codes, like in that time, like um, God did a lot of work in us. So sometimes even in the preparation of where he's taking you, he will humble you, you know. And I'm so, it, it made me, we were so busy doing that that, like, I could never really plan, like, 
well, what are we going to do when we get there? And all these kids, like, what are we going to do? So when, by the time we got there and we moved in and then found out we were pregnant with Hamilton, our almost 15-year-old, a week after we moved in, we found out we were pregnant with him. Um, I, we would just unpack a box and sit on the box, eat a popsicle, and then paint the stick with the kids. Like, you know, it was just that simple. Like, the kids would come over just to like, hey, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? You know, and they would literally just help us unpack a box. We would sit on the box, eat a popsicle, and then paint the stick. (laughs) You know, it was just very simple. And I think just God was very intentional and probably more so for me because I am such a planner um, that, um, you know, even in the, in humbling me, like that was completely him. So the beginning of your ministry looks like hesitation. It it looks like a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. It looks like moving into a place that is a lot on your plate and figuring out how to rehab this whole house in a neighborhood that doesn't look like maybe necessarily what what you would choose for your family, but Mm -hmm. you did choose it. And now your ministry starts by literally unpacking boxes and eating popsicles with neighborhood kids and then and then taking the stick from a popsicle and then painting it. <laughs> yeah. And it and it and it starts there and then how does it transform over the years? What what begins to happen through this time? Um we probably well, the kids would just come. I mean, I, we were surprised. The kids, these children, um, there was there was a specific group of kids. There were four of them that lived right across the street from us, and then another set of seven kids and their mom. And we actually got to know her before we moved over there. And she had seven children. Um, And so we spent a lot of time with her before we moved. And so she got us a little street smart, which was good. She's great. We're still great friends to this day. Um, But the kids, there were four kids whose mom worked all day. And her, um, she had a, a boyfriend that lived there. And he would lock the kids out of the house all day because he wanted to sleep. Which was, you know, just shocking to us that these children would just stay outside all day long which meant they had to find a place to use the bathroom outside if they got hurt I mean they one of them was four Malcolm was four at the time and so they would come over to our house a lot and just ask us if we had food or ask us if we had a band-aid or you know do you have can we use your bathroom and um, I mean they just came over with so much hope in their eyes like kids are pretty resilient and we were shocked that they um, wanted to spend so much time with us. And so we started our kitchen, the way it's made, our, our house is, um, the, it was, you know, there were like uh, the kitchens at the far end of the front door. And so um, everything I needed was in the kitchen. And so we get these kids knocking on the door. And they don't just knock, like knock. They bang on the door. And they keep banging until you come to the door. So they, I mean, they're just used to that. That's just kind of, that was kind of the first thing we learned was like, if you want to get someone's attention, you just knock and knock and knock and knock and knock. And you knock like your hair's on fire. And so we don't even hear, our dogs don't even bark when people come over to visit us because they just kind of softly knock like normal. And no one even hears it because we're so used to the, you know, intense banging. Um, but anyway, the, they would knock. So I started wearing an apron um, because then I could keep scissors and Band-Aids and, Little, all the things that I'd have to run back to the kitchen to get. And so 
um, we joked about it being kind of a front porch ministry because these kids would just come up on the porch and they would need everything, you know. I mean, they just, they, anything they needed, they would just come to our house because they knew we were home and we, and um, so that, I mean, honestly, it just kind of started from kids coming to the front door and then we thought, well, they're coming 24-7. There's no real, I mean, they were literally coming 24-7. We've had people knock on our door even last week, Hamilton and I, someone knocked on our door for food at 11.30 at night. Um, there's not a lot of boundaries and, you know, day planning going on. <laughs> so the kids would come. So we started kind of coming up with a schedule of, like, we could do, let's, let's have hours, like, that the kids. And then they didn't know what time it was. So then we had a clock on the, you know, because they were like, well, we don't know. I can't read. I can't read. I don't know what time it is. Because they were trying to get them. I had, little, I had a little baby at this time, you know, and. Thankfully, we did not put in a doorbell. That would have been a nightmare uh, if we'd had a, do- a doorbell. But um, we, you know, we started kind of having, getting a little more organized just so that we could manage life with, you know, with, we kind of knew and were prepared for when the kids came over. And so we started snack bags and um, ice cream socials on Thursdays and movie nights on Fridays and started kind of getting organized based on what we thought would work in the neighborhood. And the first movie night we did, we thought, let's do a Christian film, like we're going to do Narnia, and we're going to have, we had all these questions we were going to ask afterward, and we learned probably in the first 30 seconds, like, that's not going to work. They're not paying any attention, they're throwing rocks, they're doing, you know, so we thought, you know, there's so much, we don't necessarily have to have the, the message be the gospel all the time in the movie and all of that. Like, there's so many gospel moments with these kids when they're, you know, they start a fight with each other or they throw rocks or um, just, you know, we had words choices that they would use. And so we realized that there were so many moments with these children where we could sit down and have those conversations with them um, that were real gospel moments, and they, they honestly, I mean, I was surprised, they really did, they really did listen, and then they would, when new kids would come, like, oh, you're not allowed to say that over here, you're not, you know, they love telling it, you know, pointing out things, but I mean, would you say, Tom probably has a different, you know, add stuff to add to that, but that's kind of how it started. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned, like, we're going to put on this uh, Christian film, <laughs> oh, yeah. and then it will, Slow Christian <laughs> it, film. Yeah. yeah, and it will, and it will, oh. and it will t- kind of introduce the gospel, yeah. and, and that the would kind be of films easy, that right? we like to watch, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. say, oh, they're so great, this Deep tiny, <laughs> this small church in Georgia that's not even in Atlanta is putting out all these films, and we thought they're great, and so I had a um, a group of guys that I was mentoring called Band of Brothers. And I said, oh, we're going to have a, 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 a movie night on Friday. And y'all can stay over the weekend. And they were all excited. So because I had that idea because we were in Sam's, and there was an inflatable outdoor screen. And this thing was as big as what normal TVs are now, right? It's just small. And I said, this is going to be fantastic. And uh, all they wanted to do, uh, they just... Miss Tom, I don't like this film. What's you know? It had nothing to do. It didn't connect with them at all. They just want to play basketball. So uh, we we realized that um, it's small things that have big impacts. For instance, how we really started. Michelle's leaving out um, humbly, leaving out a lot. Um, 
in terms of the impact. The impact, when I was working inside the house or had some contractors inside the house, Michelle would come down and intentionally love on the kids. If there was one kid or if there was four kids, and it ended up growing to like there was 40 and 50 kids in our tiny little front yard in the inner city um, because she would love on them, even though there was only, at the time, one adult that was okay, well, two adults. One lady prayed us in the neighborhood. That's another story. But the lady across the street who had a bunch of kids, she uh, just accepted us, even though we have very light skin. Um, I, I hate the term white because we're not, nobody's white. They came up with that term when trying to, you know, we're more pure, you know. Um, so I, I, I call myself super light skin, you know. So anyway, so she would get out there and love on the kids and the moms would be okay with them coming over to our yard, even though they weren't okay with this white lady at, at this point. Because they knew that was the only place. This is what I kept hearing. Well, my mom says the only safe place we can play outside of the apartment. So they would come over. And that was 100% Michelle. And she, we had a white van. And she would drive down. When she would come um, over, she would drive down. And it looked like a third world country. Like, say, like the Americans are here. You know, and all the kids running up to feel, you know. And they would you know, start banging on the, uh, the van while she was driving. So it, it's not, um, like if, if we started talking about like all the things that we've gotten into over the years and what we're doing now, um, it, it can seem kind of overwhelming. Like how, how does that happen? Well, it all happened with, um, Michelle seeing a lady across the street, meeting her, and she was the one person that we had in normally that we would see that was okay with us. And she said, yeah, why don't y'all go over to Miss Michelle's house? And Michelle would just love on them and play with them. And that, that love is more powerful than any program, any, anything that you can say because it's conveyed. And then once people know you love them, like they... Everybody knows Miss Michelle. After 17 years, I'll still ask somebody at a store to say, wait, uh, do I know you? I said, yeah, I, we have a ministry, North Second. You know, they go, uh, I don't know. And I, and I keep trying to describe it. Maybe your kids have been there. Um, and then I say, um, have you ever heard of Miss Michelle? Oh, I know Miss Michelle. Right. And, um, and it's it. So and I said, yeah, well, I'm married to her. So it's because I give out snack bags. It's because I give out snack bags. I, I would know you by that too. Yeah, for sure. That would leave an impression on me. I, I think one of the things you said is is so important. You mentioned that that you guys are the safe place that everybody feels safe at, at your place. Maybe nowhere else around. And I think that models Christ so much. Right, whether it be the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, all these people who are, everybody else is ready to condemn them. There's nowhere safe for them to run. And here is Christ who is the safe place for all these people. You're modeling that in, in your neighborhood and slowly over time, people begin to feel like you are the safe place for them. You've modeled Christ's love and now you've become the safe place 
for all their, their wounds, their, um, the, the, the sore places for them, right? The, the bangs and the bruises and, and the things. And so you guys, this, this ministry that starts with popsicles and, and boxes on a front porch with an apron and, and all the needs becomes, becomes this place where everybody begins to come to and show up at and then probably feels very much overwhelming like, Oh my goodness, this is happening. Now what? Now what do we do, right? And so where, where is that now? Fast forward a little bit and tell us what, what is happening? What does your given week or month look like um, in your neighborhood with, with the schedule of Front Porch Ministry? Uh, well, I, I think I quickly tell what, um, to, like today, I'm handing out meals to you know, people living on the streets. Um, Fortunately, I don't have to cook them. Uh, that would be bad for the people eating the meals. <laughs> we have a, uh, a, a actually a decorated sous chef who is at a five-star restaurant has, is now cooking meals for people that are on the street or a room at the inn and stuff like that. So um, uh, that's what like I'll be doing today. Now, um, uh, Michelle, can, she um, basically is our organizer and keeps count of like everything so so i just thought i could give my my little thing and then you can tell about whatever everything else meal distribution got it don't don't trust tom for meal cooking but but you can get a meal from him and it might be pretty good well um so in summer looks different it depends on the season um and i think that's one thing just you know no matter where you are like we had to learn you know what works like when when we start when we were doing the movie nights um, we started noticing that kids, we normally wouldn't start the movie till it got dark. And, um, and we realized that the, half the kids were leaving um, halfway through. And we realized that we had a lot of Congolese kids. And they had to be home by dark. And so we realized, like, you know, we had to adapt to, well, we don't want them to have to leave. So we started doing more of a pizza night, um, which they like, we learned they like Takis and hot sauce on their pizza. So we do that, you know, that's, yeah, we, 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 you kind of, you know, you really want to learn the Wait, culture. Y'all know what Takis are? Yeah. Okay. The, yeah. They're in the purple. They're super hot. Like, you know, no artificial coloring at all. Yeah. Like, and the younger the kid, orange. the more they like it. <laughs> oh, I know. They're, I just can't even eat one. Like if, if you don't know, ask a kid 12 and under. They'll, yeah. They'll they know what Takis are. And so we actually can find them at Walmart, the little Takis. So sometimes I'll surprise them and put them in their snack bags and they're, they love it. Um, instead of just like Doritos or something. But um, so just to, you know, so summer looks different. Um, and then adapting based on, you know, which when we started getting a lot of Congolese refugees living in our neighborhood, we started adapting, you know, to the movie nights and stuff, um, to, to making those a pizza night because we wanted them to be fed. And, um, and so anyway, but now, right now, like COVID changed a lot of things. Obviously, you know, we couldn't gather in um, more than 10 for the sum- first summer of 2020 in Davidson County. And so we were actually already at max because we had a family living with us. So we were at the 10 all the time. So we were just handing out snack bags to kids. Um, they weren't in school, you know, for the first month or so. They hadn't figured out how to get these kids meals. And these kids rely on, you know, they rely on breakfast and lunch at the school. Um, so they, you know, we started like kind of amping up, like, you know, putting in, you know, the microwavable, um, uh, 
mac and cheese and, you know, kind of giving them stuff. I know it's not great stuff, but it's something in their tummy. And so we, you know, and it has to be non-perishable because we can't store it otherwise. And so we um, were, you know, try to amp up all of that stuff right after COVID. And then we realized, like, when people couldn't get toilet paper. And we most of the families we work with do not have, I mean, they just don't have transportation. Many of them do not speak English. I mean, they were freaking out over, you know, like, we're just left. Like, we don't have access to all of this stuff. And so we started doing a... Um, we had those three moms living in one apartment, and they had 12 kids between the three of them. Yeah. And it was a 600-square-foot apartment. Yeah. And the, the day that I, you asked me to take diapers over to them, they showed up with big smiles on their faces. And a few hours earlier, I had seen, this is unfair, but I saw Jennifer Anderson complaining about being in her, you know, beach home for so many months, you know, in Malibu. And, I mean, everybody loves Jennifer Aniston. I mean, you know, she's not a bad person. Uh, they, they, but that's the way we all get, right? And then I go up there, and these three lays refugees whose hu husbands uh, either didn't make it or just left them. And they're in an apartment where they have way too many people for, that's coded for. So they're terrified that anybody that works at the apartment complex will find out they have that many people there. And then they'll just be out on the street in tents. Um, and they are just as happy. They would come over, and we've seen pictures. I, I quit the National Geographic when I saw, you know, you peel, put big things on their heads, and they walk around from village. And that, they would do that, and it was really amazing. And they would just have these big smiles, and they would come out with these very bright clothes. And I thought, you know, you know we think you know, we have it bad that day or that month or something like that. And yet, um, God loves the people who are in need. And um, you find God's love around people who are really in need. Um, and um, one of the saddest things for me, I was, I was handing out some meals in, in the Bellevue area, and, uh, and excuse the phrase, but white ladies started prayering up on, on the news and, um, and saying things that weren't true because I've been going there uh, to this big encampment and, uh, and trying to get the mayor to just move them all out. I mean, they don't have anywhere to go. Most of those people are there because of the boom in Nashville. And all the low-income housing is being torn down, including this huge apartment complex behind our house. It's being torn down. It's going to be high-rise, high-end homes. And if you don't have a family that can take you in, then you're on a sidewalk or you're hovering and hiding in a park uh, to try to protect your family in a tent that most of us wouldn't go camping in or the squirrels chew through and it's a hard life and I just keep remembering anytime I feel like I don't feel like going out today I remember that scripture when, when Jesus said um, uh, you, you fed me when I was hungry you visited me in prison you know and then when you 
did that to the least of these, you're doing it to me. And when you didn't do that to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And uh, that, that's his heart. And it didn't, you don't have to um, justify, like, well, they're not working. Well, you don't know their story. Um, they're not doing it. Because that, that's all those things I felt. I mean, for a long time, I didn't, we didn't do anything with the homeless. We, we had our own population. And then when I started just realizing some of these scriptures, like, um, like what I have here, heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, God wants all of it. And um, for somebody who is hungry, says, feed them. Says, don't take, you don't have to take them to a job site and make sure they work and then feed them. He just says, feed them. One of the things that we, you know, just to kind of get back to what you were asking, like what it looks like now, um, we, um, you know, we try not to put a lot of stipulation on who we help. Um, we might put stipulations on like how much we help, you know, because that's, you know, you got to have a little skin in the game sometimes. And we've learned that over the years too, that not, you know, not everybody wants to help themselves and, and that's okay. And they may not want to help themselves now, but they might, you know, through just through relationship, like everything we do is through relationship. Um, we want to know your name. We want to know who you are, how many kids you have. And, um, so after COVID we started this drive, we did a drive through in our, in our alley. So we got toilet paper when you couldn't get toilet paper. We'd go to, we'd have friends getting Costco, you know, all the things, you know, I mean, we have families freaking out of our toilet paper. I mean, you have like Tom said, like 12 kids, you need toilet paper. You know, that's going to get really bad really quickly. So um, we would do diapers and wipes and cleaning supplies. Um, we'd buy like um, uh, containers, you know, that you could fill up with a little bit of Fabuloso and then water, you know, just some way so that they could stay healthy and clean and masks and things like that. And um, so we've kind of continued that through. So every Thursday we do a distribution out of our alley um, with distribution of like, um, some, we did do food items for a while, but then we started doing once we got COVID and he wasn't getting better. We, I realized like it's about $15 worth of food items that I'm literally putting together in food bags. Um, why don't I do donations of like $15 gift cards to Kroger and that way they can determine what they need. Um, and so now we do a $15 gift card as long as they're uh, committed and have filled out a form and that kind of thing. But everybody can get, you know, the other supplies and stuff. So we, we kind of do that, you know, we've adapted a little bit to to giving um, this distribution on Thursdays. Um, and it's okay to be taken advantage of. That That's one thing that was really hard for me. Because mm. you start doing gift cards and I thought, well, some of these, some people are going to take those and just sell them and buy something else. Because mm -hmm. um, I wanted to kind of, no, we got to control that. That's, it's not really, uh, you know, we, every one of us in here we have issues. We all have issues. Like if we weren't, then we wouldn't need to have a church or need to have Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And we need him. So we all have issues, and so we try to do it, and Michelle does it as, um, as thoughtfully as possible and trying to um, eliminate just, you know, the things that are just blatant. But it's okay if you reach out in love to somebody and you get taken advantage of. That's okay. I think that's the story, part of the story of 
uh, right, the, the, the prodigal son, you know, the, the father gives even though the, the younger son squanders it all. And a part of the, the older son's problem is that he squandered it, you know, and the father's like, I'd do it again, you know, and he does, right? He gives them everything. So tell me now, uh, how, how many families do you serve maybe weekly or monthly? It started off with just a couple of kids on the porch, and now where are we? So over the years, we've, um, you know, a lot of these kids have grown up. Uh, they're in their 20s now, and they still come and visit. Some of them have their have children of their own that they bring um, to the front porch, um, we have more kids in the summer. It's, it's a little weather pending. Um, we have about 50 kids that stop by Monday, Wednesday, Friday for snack bags. Um, so they, they literally, like, we're ready for them. Ricky helps Ann Hamilton, but Ricky, it's kind of his job. He'll get the snack bags ready, and if we're not ready by, like, 345, even though we don't open till 4, they get out of school, I think, at 345, and they run to the house. So they, so we try to be ready before they get there. <laughs> um, it's, it's super fun. They're, you know, and uh, we ask them how they're doing in school and that kind of thing. So we have a lot of kids. There's still a lot of kids that are over there. Um, any event that we might do like Hallelujah or our Easter event, we'll have maybe 150 kids um, that come to that. But we have about 50 that come and they're the same 50 that come every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, in terms of moms, over the years, um, the I mean, there's probably about 150 moms that we have, you know, been in relationship with. Um, at any given time, um, usually between 35 and 40 are the ones that we, you know, keep in touch with. Um, it's just, you know, numbers change. That's one thing we learned pretty quickly is that, you know, um, their phone numbers change every month. Um, if, you know, so sometimes we will lose contact. Um, I've kept the same phone number. I've only ever had one cell phone number. And so usually I'll hear from people years later, like, hey, I know it's been like eight years, but, you know, I, and one of the reasons I've kept that number is because I, you know, I just, I know the kids have it. And, um, but, um, you know, right now um, there's, for Christmas, we took about 35 moms shopping and they're all ones that have a little bit of skin in the game, you know, not a, not a ton. Some of them, you know, they may not be in taking classes through Project Connect. They may be doing like a 12-step program. <clears throat> or we may just know their situation well enough to know that they're not in a place to take classes, but they're willing to at least, you know, have us know their name, know where they live, you know, just be in relationship with them, and we'll respond to text messages, just be in a relationship with them. Um, and so uh, there's about 35 of those moms right now, which represents probably close to 200 kids, 200 people, wow. because they a lot of them have, you know, eight, nine kids. And so... Um, we, uh, in fact, tonight I get to take two moms that are in that program to, uh, to a dinner, um, at, with another ministry that we partner with called, uh, Team 147. And, um, you know, and they just kind of get to, to expand their horizons and expand their sphere of influence and, or, you know, and just know other people that, um, so I got to choose two of the moms to come. Well, they wanted me to choose one, and I said, I, I, can, I take, can I bring two? I'm always going to push it a little bit. And so I'm bringing one mom, and one mom has two twin kids, two twin boys that are a year old, is very just a year out of recovery, um, just got her kids back, and she is hungry for just, she. I mean, she has been looking forward to this, and, you know, she is just, she's ready for change. She just needs opportunity. And she's the first one to ask for diapers when she needs them. And, you know, and I just, I love her initiative. 
you know, she's, um, she's, uh, I mean, she's, she's just ready for change. And there's so many people that just need somebody that can, you know, be there when they're ready for change. I mean, she's, she's the one doing the best in her whole family. I mean, she doesn't have family that she can turn to. I mean, they're turning to her and she's like, look, I'm barely above water. You know, I got twin boys. Nobody can, she can't leave her kids with anybody because they're all on drugs. And, you know, and so she's, um, she's, you know, I'm going to choose her. Like, yeah. hey, let's get your, let's, let's open up your world so that you have more people besides just me um, that are pouring into your world and, and that you can recognize that, you know, these people love you because they love Jesus. I mean, and they want to see you succeed. I mean, we are, we're, we're rooting for you, you know. You get to help take somebody from one step and elevate them just a little bit more. Absolutely, awesome. absolutely. I want to ask you guys one more question. And as I do, I'm going to have our band come on back up. And then uh, I'm going to ask our shepherds to come uh, up as well. Because I want you guys to pray over um, Tom and Michelle and their ministry. Uh, but the question that I want to ask you guys is, here we have this story of the Good Samaritan. And, and he poses the question, who is my neighbor? And so if, if we're sitting around well house today and, and we're saying, all right, um, who, is, who is my neighbor? We're all uh, from different parts of the city uh, and scattered around. How would you, how would you answer that uh, maybe for us? Or, or what would you challenge us with to say, all right, how do, how do we look at neighboring better? Um, I love that you brought the Good Samaritan because the, the Samaritan was, were enemies of the Jewish nation, right? They, they weren't next-door neighbors. Like, and people say, well, on my street or down the street or people I know. It's everybody because they, the, the uh, Jews would not allow the Samaritans to even go into Jerusalem to pray because the, the woman at the well said, we're not even allowed to go down there. And, and he said, who are you? And he said, and she said, well, you know, we even... Um, you know, we, we don't deserve God either. And, and the, that Samaritan woman at the well said, I mean, Jesus told her before he told any of his apostles that he was the son of God. That's, and, and we look at that Samaritan woman and, wow, she's had a bunch of husbands. Well, she couldn't divorce a husband. The husband could divorce her. And the family would not take a divorced woman back into their family for shame, right? So she was on her own, and she probably just had an independent spirit and spoke her mind, which she did to Jesus. And even though she knew he was a prophet, she still spoke her mind to him and then spoke her mind to the whole town about him. So my guess is there were guys that just couldn't, didn't want to handle that, wanted to dominate their women, and, uh, and she was left out in the cold for that. So the people in Samaria, in, in Samaria, whether it was the most rejected woman in that town um, or the, the person who prayed the most or the most spiritual person in that town, would not be accepted by God's chosen people. And Jesus accepted her, and he sent his apostles to go into the town and tell them about God. So that everybody is our neighbor. If they're a human being, they're our neighbor. And in a practical, because I'm the practical, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's 
um, you know, when you pull up, every, you can't pull up to a street in Nashville without somebody asking for something on the corner. And, you know, and we're not always in the mood and it's, it's, it's annoying. It's a little frightening sometimes, um, you know, and I, and I'm trying to be really wise about that, but, um, you know, even if you don't have any money to give, you know, maybe just like rolling down the window and saying, Hey, what's your name? Like, can I pray for you? Um, and, um, you know, or the person that, you know, is your waitress, like leaving a tip, a good tip. I hate that Christians get the, you know, get the, 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 you know, I mean, maybe not the bad rap, maybe it's the right rap yes, that we right. don't. We've heard that a lot. You know, that so they you don't Christians leave, don't you tip. Know, you don't tip. And it's like, you know, Jesus always met a physical need too. Um, and so even if you just have a bottle of water that you haven't opened, to say, like, I don't have money, but I have a bottle of water, and what's your name? Um, or, you know, leaving a good tip and telling the person. Um, we had somebody yesterday after the game serve 21 of us at the Cracker Barrel, you know, and, and like, calling her by her name and saying, you know, you just did an amazing job. And then leaving a good tip, you know, just to, because she needs to pay her bills, you know. And, but just, I think, um, you know, our neighbors are the people that we live near, but they're also the people that we're in the store with, you know, and um, that we come in contact with. It's our sphere of influence. And, um, you know, it just, I think, I think people, um, you don't realize the impact. I didn't become a believer until I was 25. And um, I'll tell this really, really quickly because I know y'all's service is almost over. But I think sometimes if you've been raised in the church, you forget that Christians do look different. The way you worship, the joy that you have looks different. And I got free tickets to a Michael W. Smith concert, and I didn't know who that was. I was 25, um, didn't know who that was, but I thought, free tickets, that's awesome, I'll go. Um, so I went and I took my, uh, my boyfriend with me, who was not a believer, and his friend who was doing drugs didn't know, you know. Um, that's an interesting concert. Right I there, know, yeah. I know. I was like, I mean, I wasn't doing drugs, but it was like, you you know, it was weird. I'm like, hey, we got free tickets. Let's go to this. So we went, and there were no concessions open, um, so they weren't serving alcohol. And um, I, I sat down at the thing, and I was watching all these people. Like, in the, I was sitting in the, in the seats, you know, the, like the stadium part seats, and there were all these people down in the middle, and I'm like, what are they so happy about? No, like, what? What? Okay, she okay. What? She's not a Christian, all right. So all good. She heck? said, "What the hell are, are these people so happy about?" <laughs> I did say that. I did say that. I believe I it. I believe and it. And I'm like, but I'm thinking like, that's what joy looks like, and that does look different to the world. Like I was a not a believer, and I mean, I stare. I wasn't even watching the concert. I was just watching these people like what is that? I don't know what that is, but I want that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have that with these two cats here. Right. I'm like, that is amazing. I want that. And within, I remember going home that weekend and saying like, Lord, Jesus, God, I, I don't know what it means to be right with you, but I want to be right with you. Mm-hmm. Like that had such an impact on me. Mm-hmm. And within 30, 30 days, like I had given my life to the Lord mm-hmm. and moved out of my situation. Like, I mean, I was like, out like peace out I'm moving out I'm doing this you know and that that was 25 years ago and you know and and I think we forget that we're supposed to look different Mm. so that joy 
And it does look different to a non, when you are in the absence of, when you are living in the absence of God, even though he's never absent from around us, but he's absent from within us. Um, you know, because he can't live in us until we invite him. And, you know, I, I, I just, I never forget that. And so, you know, knowing that we're supposed to look different. And, um, you know, when we reach out or love on somebody that is supposed to look different than the world, and it doesn't always, and, you know, so I don't know, that's, you know, my Michael W. Smith concert. Someday I'm going to tell him that story. There you go. Well, we uh, appreciate you all in your long obedience to the gospel. And I know that there, I'm sure over the last 17 years, right, there have been days where it's like, this is awesome, and then there's days where you're like, I quit, I, you know, I quit everything and I'm walking away uh, with the scars that I have. But I, I want you guys to know uh, that we appreciate that. We, uh, we want to pray over you. Thank you for what you're doing and um, the impact, the godly impact that you guys are making here in this community. I know it is, is uh, far-reaching, probably what you would even begin to guess, and, and that's amazing. So um, would, uh, would you care to pray? Heavenly Father, we just, we are in awe of the, of the things that you are capable of doing through us. And as we have listened this morning, what an incredible reminder that it is to hear what people can do when they just accept and listen to what you want them to do. Father, it's just a amazing to stop and think that everybody needs a hug, everybody needs love, and what a difference it can make. And Father, I am so thankful that there are people that are willing to listen, people that are willing to be still and just stop and listen to what you want them to do, and then to stop and, and do what it is that you ask them to do. And Father, may we all take something from this so that we can go out and make a difference every day. And Father, I thank you so much for the love that you show us and for the people that have gathered here today to experience it and to worship. And Father, I ask that when we go out, that we look different, that people look at us and say, what is it that they have to be so happy about? And that gives us an opportunity to tell them about you. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we ask that you continue to watch over and love us. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.